I think this is the first time I've been excited about this particular gospel text. Somehow, this time around, I have found more hope and healing in a text that I used to find confusing and confounding. And honestly, I've discovered that it is all about location. The whole story takes place inside of the temple, the location of the community, the center of life in any community. The temple is how people gathered. It is the place where rituals were performed to repair relationships within that community with God and with each other. So in today's text, Jesus and his newly called disciples head to Capernaum on the shores of Lake Galilee. And he enters the synagogue on the Sabbath day to teach. Now, he teaches with authority, Mark makes sure to note. Now, I preached about authority this past summer, a word that is used in Scripture as a way to distinguish who was allowed to teach in the temple and how those who were allowed to speak were generally the ones with the power in the temple, the church leaders, the insiders. So Jesus comes in without going through the appropriate channels, and he begins to teach. Now, we don't have record of what exactly he's teaching here in Mark's gospel. All we know is that it was different than how the scribes taught. Now, one might start this story today thinking it's going to be all about authority yet again, one about why Jesus' teaching is so significant in the temple. But as things happen in Mark, the story quickly changes. Instead of teaching in the temple, it becomes a story about a man with an unclean spirit. Mark's gospel is so short and quick and to the point, he rarely includes something that he doesn't deem significant. We're still in the first chapter. And already we've met John the baptizer. Jesus has been baptized. He's been sent out and tempted in the wilderness and has called the first disciples. In chapter one, Mark is not messing around. He has got a story to tell and the rest is just details. Jesus is interrupted. His teaching time is interrupted. And if the authoritative teaching were the point of this story, then we know Mark wouldn't include the interruption at all. Now I want to pause the narrative of the scripture today and just take a quick moment to talk about the wording that Mark uses here of unclean spirit. Uncleanliness in first century Judaism is not as we sometimes think it is about good or bad, but about being able or unable to approach God. Jewish scholar Amy Jill Levine reminds us that being ritually unclean was generally not a big deal 
Most people were probably unclean most of the time. And Judaism did not consider ritual impurity a sinful state. It was simply a part of life. For example, birth makes one ritually impure. So does sex and menstruation and food preparation and burying the dead. But these things are rituals, a part of life. We're not going to not birth children and we're not going to not bury our dead. And so being unclean wasn't an unexpected or bad thing. It was just a part of life. It just was. So this unclean spirit within a man comes to disrupt Jesus. And I want to point out that distinction that Mark makes sure that we hear that the spirit and the man are not the same. There is a definite separation between the two. The man has an unclean spirit. So back into our story today. Jesus has been interrupted, and this unclean spirit in the man shouts, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? I know who you are. I love this scene. It is straight out of a movie. I'm so surprised we haven't seen it a million times in these Jesus movies that come out every once in a while. And Jesus responds not by condemning the man or sending him away or having him removed from the temple, but sending away the spirit. The man is standing inside the temple, in the community, and he remains a part of it. The unclean spirit is sent back wherever it came from. I had a lot of questions as I was pondering this text in the past few weeks. Why would Mark include this particular story in the very beginning of his words about Jesus? Jesus calls out the unclean spirit, like I said, location, from the temple. This isn't happening in the cliffs as it does in other gospels or across the lake in the foreign land. This is in the temple, the center of life, the place where we gather and live and worship. That changes the story quite a bit for me. What if this story isn't then about the man or the unclean spirit at all, but about the church? What if this is about calling out things in the church that make it unclean? Or as one of my pastoral colleagues said this week, we so often think of ourselves as the church, right? The, the church is the body, not a building. And so if the church is us, is me, is you, then what is it within me that is impacting the whole what things within me need to be cast out and sent away? This is an extremely hard question. But when we think of uncleanliness as something that prevents us from approaching God, as something that is maybe a normal part of the life that we are in, but can limit our participation in a community that God has set before us, well, it becomes a lot easier to relate to the unclean spirit than anyone else in this story. That's because I know, and you do too, I know you do, but I know what parts of me are unclean. 
my selfishness, and my pride, my need to be right and the certainty that I am, my full participation in systems of oppression that benefit me at the expense of someone else. It is hard to hear. But Mark's gospel today reminds me that these unclean spirits cannot survive Jesus. The unclean spirits see Jesus coming and they know, they know what is about to go down. This kind of stuff cannot live in the light. It cannot stand it. What have you to do with us? They scream. They know. Oh, you've come to destroy us. We know you're here to destroy us. And again, note how wrong they are. That fear is powerful, and sometimes it's easier to hold on to the unclean spirits than face the unknown. Jesus does not destroy them. He simply sends them back to where they come from. And in doing so, Jesus restores the community to wholeness, to fullness. And the restoration of community is the whole point of a cleansing ritual. So we all can come together before the throne of God as equals in the same place, starting from the foundation of who we are, children of God. Now I want to caution us that it can be really easy to hear this gospel and think that our role is to go out into the world and just call out unclean spirits. You're unclean, you're unclean, you're unclean. But look again at this story. We aren't Jesus. Remember, we're never Jesus in the story. Jesus is Jesus. We are the ones with the unclean spirit. And while calling out unclean spirits might be the work of Jesus, I think we have the very sacred and important job of naming them. As I said way back on January 10th, we have to name the thing that is killing us. We have to be able to say when something is holding us back or preventing us from being a part of a community that something is keeping us from God. This requires deep introspection before it can become something we point out in someone else. So I wonder what this might be for you. Might it be possible for you to name idols and unclean spirits within you? And we bring those things into the light of Christ and we let him send them back to where they belong. I think we can. I think we must. I think the future of our church depends on it. New Testament professor emeritus Osvaldo Vena says that naming the demons is the way to recognize that they exist. We start with the big one, he says. Unbelief, losing one's faith in God, in life as a sacred force, and in other human beings. Unbelief in our fellow human beings. Doesn't that sound familiar? 
It is the feeling, he continues, that nothing can be done to solve our problems. Then, springing from that feeling, that big one, come the others in fearful company, homophobia, racism, sexism, classism, religious and ideological intolerance, violence at home and at school, poverty, militarism, terrorism, war, greed, extreme individualism, globalization, out-of-control capitalism, media-infused fear that leads to paranoia, and governmental manipulation of information, to just name a few. Unless we name these demons, they will name us. They will control us and destroy us. So if sending unclean spirits back to where they came from isn't our job, naming them and bringing them into the light is. I believe it is. The ones within us and then the ones within our church. It is there when we bring them into the light that they are seen for what they are. Where they come face to face with Jesus and they shout, what have you to do with us? because they know they cannot survive the love and light of Christ. And then what is left? In today's gospel, the man is left whole. He is able to participate in rituals that restore him to the community and to God. This isn't some false cry for unity. This is repairing what has been broken and being honest about it and then being honest about what it takes to be who we have been created to be. What is left? We are. When we come face to face with God and the love and light that exposes and heals, we are what is left who we have been created to be without masks and without pretense and without someone in the world telling us who we are that is not God. What is left is who we really are. The beautiful and broken people that make up the church. But that is how the light gets in, through the broken places within us. What have you to do with us, O Holy One? The answer is clear. God looks at you in your fear and your wondering and says, I have come to make you whole, restore you to community, and to remind you of who you are. Amen. We have been reminded again this morning of who we are, and that becomes harder to remember when we leave this worship place. Not just this building, but when we are sent out into the world that has lots of other messages telling us something else. I want us to take just a a week back um, to the incredible poet from the inauguration this week, Amanda Gorman. 
She preached to me more than anybody else on that stage. And I just want to remind you of my favorite line. There's a lot of lines of hers that have been quoted, but she reminded me of a very important call of us as people of faith, which is that if we merge mercy with might and might with right, then love becomes our legacy. I think this is part of what happened in our gospel today, is that the might of God was merged with the rightness of restoring community and love in that community became the legacy. And that is the legacy we carry out into the world as we, people of God, committed to who we are, solid in the foundation of who we are, go out into the world, children of God, in peace, to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.